Hello, lovely people. How are you? Wow, it is so good to be back with series three. And I am so excited about my guests. Now, let's get straight into it. First up, someone who is absolutely going to give you some food for thought. When I say food, what I mean is beer. Yes, beer. Jill Sherwin was working in insurance with a huge job taking her all over the world when she and her husband decided this life was no longer working for them. A trip to a beer festival changed everything and now they run the best of British beer. Ten years later, they have a family business, have sold millions of bottles and their decision even led them to their own daughter. I'll let you listen to find out how. Jill's story is all about finding joy in what you do and doing it as well as you can. I found her passion infectious and I really hope you'll agree. Hello and welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea is as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak to some incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it may help you with your next chapter or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Jill Sherwin. Jill Sherwin, welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. I feel so honoured to have you with me. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Ellie. And I feel very honoured to be here. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's get going because we've got quite a lot to discuss. So as ever, we're going to start with your prologue. Now, you grew up in a little town, you say, was it Wishaw, if I've got that pronunciation right? And this is 10 miles outside of Glasgow. And you say, if you've read Motherwell by Deborah Orr, that's you, even the same school. Now, I haven't read that book. So tell me, what does that mean? Okay, so Deborah Orr was a, a journalist who um, moved out of Motherwell when she was probably just past her um, degree. And she, um, after having a very, very successful journalist career, she wrote a book about her upbringing. Um, and I read it quite recently. And she grew up about, oh gosh, a mile or so from where I did. Uh, and she even went to the same school. And it was quite... Um, it was quite an eye-opener. She talked about things that I probably hadn't realised at the time. It was very much coal mines. We were the centre of steel industry, um, probably in the UK, never mind Scotland. Um, and just as I was sort of coming into my formative years, you know, that your O-levels and things like that, that's when the sort of steel industry had all started to go. So the sort of landscape I grew up in was quite... Uh, I think it was just a town that was trying to find its place again. Um, there wasn't really very many opportunities. Um it was probably quite similar to where we have our business now. So it was, um, yeah, post-Thatcher Britain. Um, and it was quite interesting reading it from someone else's perspective. I grew up in a very working class, very sort of post-industrious town. That So it was working class, but you also said you were, were a very conscientious pupil. So school obviously meant, you know, quite a lot to you. Yeah, I think so. I think when I was brought up, I was always raised, I was always told that I was really clever. Um, So you just believe something then, don't you? So it just, I just grew up thinking, I'm really clever. Um, And so because of that, I tried really, I suppose I didn't want to then lose that title. I don't know, that's just what I sort of what I'd become. So that's probably how I defined myself. So school was really important to me. So I was made sure that I passed every exam. I was always topping my class. Um, I think it was a bit of a shock when I moved from primary to high school and realised, oh, you're not the cleverest kid anymore. But um, that was something. So, yeah, I was very conscientious as a student. I always wanted to make sure that 
I'd, um, that I was achieving, yeah, and I was passing my exams and that I really loved learning. One of my happiest days at school was being given homework. Wow. Just loved it. I, I would say as I got older, I was much more interested in going out and socialising than studying. But as a child, I was very, yeah, I loved it. I loved working hard and loved school. And you still love secondary school then when you say like you weren't necessarily the only clever person in the class, but that, that didn't put you off in any way. No, no, I was quite a geek, really. And I think that my mum used to perm my hair because she said it was too straight. She made my clothes. I had glasses. So I was was like, the only thing I had was my sort of my brain. Um, And then as I got older and I thought, I don't need to perm my hair anymore. I can wear clothes from a shop. I sort of um, thought that maybe boys and fun were, were better. So I think as I sort of got into my late teens, I was much more interested in going out. But I think before I discovered that, it was all about school. Sure. And did you do so you did your exams um and then did you go to university or anything like that Jill um I did but I took a year out so I didn't really I remember being really sort of focused on want I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I wanted to be a vet that was the only thing that I sort of thought and I remember going to the careers advisor and they said well you would have to do the three sciences to do that. And you can't do that because you're a girl. So you can't do the three sciences. So you should be doing secretary and all that sort of stuff. And so just to sort of prove them wrong, I didn't do the three because I wasn't allowed, but I did sci- I did chemistry and physics. So I uh, signed up to do an engineering degree. But between sort of leaving school and it starting, I went to work for an insurance company. Um, my mum got me a job and I had a, I had a year out first and I actually just enjoyed working so much that then when I went to university it wasn't really quite for me and I thought I just really like working Um didn't really know what I was going to do but I, I just you know I think it was probably the wrong choice of subject I think I probably had a little bit of imposter syndrome and I sort of thought this isn't for me this world of academia you know people like me don't do that we don't get degrees um so I sort of I only did the first year and then I went back into the world of work okay. um which I like turning but that is shocking isn't it before we move on to that it is shocking that it's not that long ago really is it Jill and then you know a girl you can't do three sciences I mean that and I mean we say now that there's a lack of women in certain industries but you can see if you're being told things like that then this is why now there's less sort of women of sort of our age in these jobs yeah, absolutely. And I think it probably is still the case where, because maybe, I don't know, maybe then the next generation down didn't see people our age doing jobs in that sort of industry. So it, it doesn't happen. And, you know, I was thinking about this, that obviously I have my own business now and all the language around that when you're growing up is very much about men doing it as well. You know, you heard about, oh, he's a businessman. He's got his own business, you know, and that was spoken in these hushed tones as if, you know, that is the pinnacle. I never, ever heard about a woman who had a business. And about it, it, there will have been people, they probably had hairdressers maybe in the, the wool shop, you know, that sort of thing. But they were never referred to as a businesswoman. No. And if you they were, you sort of think of somebody like some power woman with big shoulder pads or oh. something like that, like <laughs> nine to five. It's not sort of that endearing, necessarily that endearing. So moving on to your first chapter then, and this did make me smile. You said your mum was fed up with you not having a proper job. So she did a telephone interview at Direct Line, pretending it was you, and she passed. So good on yes. your mum. <laughs> I remember I had um, so when I was at uni, I wanted I needed a Saturday job, and my friend had had a Saturday job at William Hill Bookmakers, and he said it's brilliant. You don't start to twelve as long as you can count, um, and you you know it's great. You can 
you can eat at your desk and things. So I was like, nice. oh, yeah, great. So I had this Saturday job at William Hill Bookmakers. So when I left university, I did that full time. And my mum was just horrified. And she used to say, what if I bump into one of your teachers in the street? And they say, what is Jill, who was top of the school, doing now? And I have to say, you're a cashier at William Hill's. But it was great because I could start late. So I was just not keen on changing at all. And um, I got home one day and my mum had a suit laid out on the bed for me and said, you've passed your interview at Direct Line. You've got your second stage tomorrow. So I got on the train to Glasgow the next day and I got my job. And I then spent 17 years in insurance and probably longer, actually, probably more like 20 years in insurance and financial services, all based on my mum just thinking, I'm just not having it. You don't argue with your mum, do you? No, so. you don't. You don't. And could, But the big question, could you eat your lunch at your desk? No. Oh, Jill, you did well to stick with it then for all those years. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, joking aside, you did build up this, like, a really big career, wasn't it? So you're in insurance. Presumably, was that all different companies as well? But you were you were travelling all over the world with this. Yeah, absolutely. I probably was on three flights a week sometimes. So, yeah, I started off in, in call centres get a bit of a bad rep sometimes. Um, and they're such a meritocracy. You know, you, you're progression through the company is based on your ability you know it's based on what you achieve how well you got on with people it's nothing to do with your background or your accent or your education it's an absolute leveler so I started at direct line um and that was quite a young company then. And then they gave me the opportunity to move to Leeds for a new company that they were setting up. So whilst I moved, I worked for different companies. It was often for the same chief exec, actually. And I sort of moved around when they did. But I moved to a company called Privilege, which is now UKI. And it was a really young, dynamic company. It was really entrepreneurial. I think the CEO was probably early 30s. The ops director was about 23. Wow. And we had this really big fancy office and this huge budget and it was a very flat structure so you you if you had ideas about how the insurance was going to work differently you just went and spoke to the chief exec because he sat a few you know a few offices down from you and and I think maybe lots of people have got had a job that they just loved it was really important for them when they were forming their character and and I think privilege was that I think we had a group of friends that I'm still really good friends with now sort of 27 years on um and that was and that was just fantastic. And that really based that was really the sort of formation for my for my career. Um, and then I think you find people in your career that really champion you and really cheerlead you know real cheerleaders for you. And I then moved on to different companies. So by the end, when I left, I was um, operations manager for Esure, and I had staff in a couple of sites in India, Manchester, London, Glasgow. I might have had six or seven hundred staff. Um, wow. And that was um, so. Yeah, that was quite a that was quite a, a big role. But it happened gradually. You know, I just sort of kept getting promoted and and taking risks and moving. You know, so I think if I'd if I just decided I want to stay in Leeds for the rest of my career, that wouldn't have happened. But I was willing to sort of just you know move just up sticks and move and go wherever you know and, and just to follow the so I probably did follow the job and not the money, but I followed the job for a while and then the money comes from it. And I think that that I've been quite lucky that enabled me to have a, a cushion for them when I didn't want to do that anymore when I felt I couldn't do it anymore um I'd already had that groundwork of um of you know putting the hard putting the hard work in and, and you know and reaping the rewards really did you yeah. did you so 
So there, so obviously you sort of your job changed as you, you moved up up the ladder as such. But did you enjoy the work? Did you enjoy working in insurance? And did you enjoy the actual working side of it? I did. I, I loved it, and I, and I love work. And I think work gives you so much more than it's not. I, I've never seen it as earning a living. Um, I've seen it very much as it, it defines. I, well, it certainly defined me and who I was. Um, and I loved working with the people that I worked with. So it was, you were always trying to make things better. So whilst it was insurance, you know, and that's, I mean, <laughs> you know, when you're sort of in your mid twenties and you meet people in clubs and the, the, you know, a man says, what do you do? And you say, I work in insurance. It's like, and now if I could say, oh, I have a warehouse full of beer. Um, so, you know, nobody's particularly excited about it, but it was very much about making things, like getting people promoted and developing teams and, you know, and making, um, reducing costs while putting sales up and all of those different aspects of just making things better and working with numbers really, really appealed to me. And I find work more fun than fun, really. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy work. You know, I think it's um, it's a very, it helps your self-esteem and it's very sociable. And so, no, I, I loved it and I didn't, I loved spending so much time in India I I didn't mind the 5am starts and getting on the flights and for a long time I just didn't mind that at all I really thrived on it and it probably was a bit of a power suit but it just goes to show isn't it if you if you love what you're doing whatever that may be it's different for everyone but that's the sort of the key it's sort of the the key to so many things and where were you living at this stage Jill? I lived in Leeds for possibly about 10 years and then when I met my husband, we moved around a little bit, but that was just a coincidence. It was probably more my job. So then I, I moved to Chester with Marks and Spencer, and then and I managed Marks and Spencer's offshore operation. So they, when I don't know if you remember, years ago you never used to be able to use a credit card in Marks and Spencer. Yeah, you had to use one of their store mm-hmm. cards, and that wasn't working for them. So they then brought out the their own Marks and Spencer credit card. It was called the Anne Moore, but they couldn't find four hundred people unemployed in Britain to launch this card. So we had no option but to go to India, um, and I managed that relationship and the, the transition of the work. Um, so that was great. And then I moved to a little a little town called Stamford, um, which is very pretty, and it was quite it was easy to get to London. So. Um, I moved there for a while and because I was then based in Manchester, um, moved to Cheshire for a while and now I've come here because this is where my husband's from. So we've moved to Staffordshire and this is home. I wouldn't wouldn't ever see me leaving here now. So yeah, so there was a period of maybe eight years where we were just, I don't know how many houses we went through. We were just moving all the time for work. And even that I didn't mind, you know, I enjoyed that. But then it just gets to a point where you need a reason to live somewhere and you need a reason to be somewhere. And I think that was probably the um, the next chapter then after my career. Um, but yeah, needed to put down roots. You're very good, Jill. Look, you're seamlessly taking me on to your, <laughs> you're doing my job for me here. Because yes, yeah, so you, so we said like you met your husband, Will. Mm-hmm. So where did you actually meet Will? I met him in a cocktail bar in um, Wakefield, <laughs> which, wow. is just, which is just outside Leeds. I'd, I'd actually been, when I was working in India, one of the chaps that I was working with said, we're setting up an office in New York. Would you like to come and work there? And so I thought, yes, of course. I had visions of it being like Sex in the City. And I thought, yeah, that's absolutely what I want to do. <laughs> so I took my, my sister had moved to Yorkshire to live near me. So I thought, I'm going to have to tell her. So I took her out for drinks to sort of break it to her that this is what I was considering. And there was only two other people in the bar, one of which was my husband. <gasps> wow. And I spoke, and I spoke to him. Um, and that was it. 
didn't did, go to New York, you lived didn't, in Wakefield instead. You didn't need to do your Carrie Bradshaw. No, oh, no I, still, wow. I still got the shoes, but no, I didn't have to, I didn't have to go. Wow, that's amazing. And because he worked in the drinks industry, didn't he? Yes. So he managed, he was an operations director for a large nightclub chain. Wow. Okay. Um, and at that point, if you met him, you would think nightclubs. You know, it's just that is not. He doesn't come across like that at all. But again, he was he was the ops director, so it was very much a commercial thing for him. I mean, nightclubs weren't really. I don't think that's where he would have spent his spare time. But I suppose when he was a younger man in his twenties, he just absolutely loved it and, and stayed in that industry. So he was just sort of probably when I met him, he was thirty nine. So he was just sort of getting to the stage where people in the front door were calling him granddad. So he was getting to the stage where he was wanting to move out of that industry. And he moved more then into hospitality, like sports bars and restaurants and things like that. Okay. So, so yeah, yeah. so you, so from, because obviously we, I found out about you, Jill, to do with the Good Housekeeping magazine. And this is so brilliant. Okay. Yeah. It always staggers me. You know, I, I read these articles, I, I get in touch and you say, yes, I'm happy to talk to you. So again, it just shows sort of how generous you are. This is the article, but I know you can't, um, for those listening, you, uh, you can't see it, but it's good housekeeping. Now it's a picture of you and Will there. Yeah. And yeah. um and you did and it just caught my eye because they were sitting there with their beers looking so happy and I was like oh I've got to meet this couple I've got to meet this lady so in the article it explains about a real crunch moment so you're on holiday so obviously because you're both working you you mm. you were travelling a lot but you could afford to go on lots and lots of lovely holidays and you're on one holiday I think you're in Rhodes and you sort of realised that you were you sort of wanted to do your own things sort of more and more he wanted to just you wanted to be out swimming or reading your book and perhaps sort of needing your time to regroup you, you weren't having that time together that most people have sort of in in the middle of the week and this really was the real sort of crunch moment wasn't it that you started to think hang on uh, and you'd moved into your country ha- home mm-hmm. and you wanted to get to know the community and we're like hang on a second this isn't quite working in a way that it has been up until now yeah absolutely and I think you when you're working and you're on that sort of treadmill you don't realize that you can live in a lovely place and you don't see it you don't know anybody there you're not actually contributing to that community in any way so we lived in nice places and might pop for a drink on a Saturday afternoon but or a Saturday night whatever but we didn't didn't know anybody we didn't shop in the shops there and that happened in lots of places and I think this particular night or day whatever it was on the holiday I realized that actually we spent three days together now we don't do that we never do that even at weekends we weren't doing it so it was like I would sort of go off to the balcony to be on my own and you don't have that day-to-day minutiae that you actually there's part of a relationship you know I'd phone him at night and say what have you had for dinner and he'd say is that all you've called me to talk about I think well I don't know anything else that's happened today so yeah you know and so that's not really a way to have a relationship and we just recently got married and we've been together for about five years up until then but I thought I just want a different lifestyle I want to be but and I think you don't realize until you have a different job or you have your own business how much more valuable and enriching it is to be part of your local community, to have an influence or to have an impact and, you know, to be economically, to be able to buy things and be part of it. It was a huge, it was a huge change, but I didn't realise that at that time. I just knew that this isn't working. And I remember the, a day and a half before the holiday finished, I was I started to feel really anxious and I was really, 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 and I'm not a particularly anxious person, but I was really dreading 
coming back and going to work and then it started to happen on a Sunday night and then it started to happen on a Saturday morning because I knew that on the Monday I was getting up at five o'clock six o'clock I was getting in the car I was driving for 200 miles or I was jumping on a flight and sometimes I would leave the house on a Monday morning and I wouldn't know when I was staying that night that was quite normal. Um, you would just have this bag that you would take around. I think, well, I'll just book a hotel while I'm on route or whatever, or when I'm at work that afternoon. And then you start to realise that actually that's just not good for you. It's not good for you. And I remember once feeling really quite unwell, and I did this questionnaire in a newspaper, and it was like, it scored your depression or anxiety. And depression I was fine, but anxiety was just off the scale and I realized that this lifestyle is not serving me anymore it's not I'm just it's just a habit now it's just a habit the money's a habit the activity's a habit um and it and it just can't it just can't go on and my husband wasn't quite in that place yet he was he was quite happy but I wasn't so I sort of stopped I took a part-time job with a lovely friend of mine and then I just badgered my husband for about a year to to pack his job in and start a business and you didn't have any idea at this stage what business you wanted to do, but you you just you sort of again I'm if I'm wrong I read it in the, in the magazine it was more that you said to him like you've got to come up with something let's let's think of something that we can do so did you come up with it together I think it was him that came up with the idea because my ideas at the time were ridiculous I'm not sure they are now but at the time they were ridiculous and so he was just sort of not 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 nothing I'd said had actually landed so. We then, um, we were sitting at a beer festival one day and I was looking at, because I just only really started being introduced to beer because um, my husband, when he first met me, I liked vodka and tonic and he said, I'm not buying you that, that's far too expensive. <laughs> so you have to start drinking cider or something. So I'm like, okay. So I went introduced to beer and I really liked it and I liked the stories and it was just at the beginning of the craft beer movement really where things were exploding and you were finding it more about the people behind the brands and and they're not really brands, they were really small family businesses. So we were sat at this beer festival and we were looking at all the beers and one of us said, if you'd been in holiday in Cornwall and you tried that beer and you loved it, where would you find it? What what would you do? Where would you get it from? Yeah. And we just hit upon this idea of why don't we just sell beer online? People do it for wine. Not many people, nobody really is doing it for beer in the way that we would want it to be done. Um, so let's do it. And that's what we did. So he um, stopped working. I stopped working. Um, and then we took a few months to develop a website, get some, we didn't really know anything about the production of beer. So we took a few months to go and visit lots of breweries. And all the breweries that we first launched with were ones from really lovely areas because it was just weekend trips. So we'd go to the Cotswolds, <laughs> we'd go to Dorset, <laughs> you know, those sort of things. And um, we just fell in love with the industry quite quickly really and we went to someone to design a website and he said that would be £20,000 and we thought well what if it doesn't work so we went for curry one night and as we left there was a marketing agency outside the restaurant and it said start a website for £500 and we thought yeah that's the one for us so we I mean in the end it probably cost £20,000 by the time we'd finished but we started for quite a low entry point we did it from home um, and we quickly moved on from that. But yes, yeah, so I, I don't know whose idea it was. I'm, I'm going to say it was his because he'd probably take credit for it. I think it probably was. But it was certainly a, a the, the direction of the business and how that would be was definitely a joint thing. We both had um, we both had a lot of input into that. 
But going back to that, I mean, we will talk about that in just a moment. Going back to that moment, because there you were at your beer festival. And I think, you know, I've been there and I'm sure many people listening been there. You know, you have a few drinks and you're like, yeah, this is And suddenly it's the best idea in the world. And you're like, (laughs) do you know what? Let's have another one to celebrate. And every drink you have, it gets the idea is even better. And by the end, you're like, wow, we're going to take over the world. And then (laughs) what perhaps may happen is you wake up the next day with a, you know, a sore head and feeling a little bit groggy and you're like oh yeah no that's not going to happen and you you carry on as it is so what was it do you think that made it so different that you actually went ahead and did it I don't know I think for me it was probably necessity um because I needed to do something and I think those moments still happen we had several of them in Saturday nights and in the garden so we still have lots of ideas and things and we talk about how amazing this would be if we created this then and they don't land and they don't happen and sometimes they do so I think it's quite a normal thing um but there was just something about it, it that stuck um and I think we could see that people were becoming much more, I mean, this is now, what, 10 years ago, um, probably 11 when we started, and we could see that people were much more interested, were becoming much more interested in the provenance of what they were drinking. So it wasn't, you know, the food had gone through that already, um, and beer was just was just starting. So I think we just sort of felt that this could really work. We um, had no idea in e-commerce whatsoever, but we can sell. Um, he knew this sort of licensed trade and if it failed it failed it wasn't you know it, it it was quite a calculated risk I think and actually I think we just got excited enough about it to carry on with it as well as some other ideas they don't continue to anything they just fizzle out because you maybe don't have it in your heart but for something for this it just really excited us it just really resonated with us and obviously then when you are let's sort of just traipsing down to the Cotswolds and doing all that sort of stuff and going to breweries and converted aircraft hangars and dairy parlours and it just excites you more and more you feel quite inspired by it so lots of brewers really want to produce a wonderful product that they're proud of they're not necessarily salespeople or commercial um so then you can come along you think oh i know how we could really help i mean obviously lots of them are but um you think i could really help them because we can put it in this product and we can sell it on not in high street and we can get it into selfridges and you know you get really quite excited about that so i suppose that's it It just it just snowballed yeah um yeah and actually it's interesting because because I've had a few of these conversations now and often then I'll speak to people sort of away and they're sort of like oh I just don't know what to do and it's oh and also it's often it's like oh I don't know how to find the time and where do you find the time but it just goes to show that it, when you find something that just it, you feel it in your body and that thing that if you're really excited about going on a night out you'll go on that night out or you'll go to yeah. that you'll go to that shop or you'll find the time to do something that excites you so if yes. you whoever you are and however busy you are you always do do that so I it's exactly your sort of proof in it um I was gonna Ooh. say proof in the pudding it's proof in the beer that actually yeah. you'd picked <laughs> you'd picked exactly and you and it told you you know and actually going back to what you were saying as well about the website that's interesting as well because again all these hurdles come up in in front of you don't they but again you don't have to you really don't at the beginning you can just try it you don't have to do all bells and whistles do you you can just just get it going so you are a so presumably and forgive me for asking you probably had a little bit of money behind you for a bit so you knew how long you could keep going in terms of of the finances the fact that you were both in it so then you were were you based from home and then you set up the website from home yes we did so for the first three months so we launched the website 
um, in the summer, so it would have been about the, ju um, the July, and we just, I remember we went to a few um, local breweries, and we went to, because um, we didn't have the budget to buy big, because we didn't know what was going to sell, so we went to a few places and bought some beer, um, and we, so we had a very limited range, and we didn't really sell anything um, for quite a while, apart from people that knew us or people that were friends. I remember one day we were sat at, I was sat at my desk in the office and I said, do you know whatever, Heather, I don't know what her name was, and I said, do you know Heather? And Will said, no. I said, we've got an order from somebody we don't know. Yay! And I was like, phoning friends and said, do you know this lady? And he was like, no, no, we don't know. We, we've, got, we've got our first order. And then we went on holiday <laughs> and um, we realised that we weren't really selling anything. Um, so we had to sort of make it make a few changes. How long had that? How long did that time go on for? When you're, it was oh, just yeah. really your friends buying. Do you think? Um, maybe two or three weeks. Oh, okay, not too no, long. Two or three, not 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 very long. But I remember someone saying to me because I think before you do this, and as I said, we'd no idea about e-commerce. So I think before you do this, you think that if you're online, you'll be found. You can Google it and find everything, can't you? Can. Actually, being online is like being down a dark alleyway with no shop window and mm. no lights. You know, you've really got to got to be seen. So it took us a little while to, I think it took us a little while to, to realise that. But I think we probably didn't make enough to live on for 12 months. Okay. Well, that's quite say. good, actually. That's quite good. Because then, so when you came back from your holiday, what did you do that was different to what you were doing before your holiday? Um, I think we, just before we'd gone on holiday, we'd, we'd put all the, because we'd had this idea where you um, have been to Cornwall on holiday, you've seen this beer and you want to try it again. So we thought people were looking for specific beers. Um, and we'd gone on holiday and we uh, we were with some friends and I remember we were in this bar and we were looking at beers and it, they were sort of saying, well, I haven't tried that one yet. I haven't tried that. Oh, is that a new one? And we just sort of thought, and even though we were sort of beer drinkers ourselves that hadn't clicked and we thought actually people don't want the same beer all the time they it's very rare that they want that specific beer they want to try new things so we created a case called the seasonal selection mm. and it was just different beers every month depending on the weather the seasons you know whatever we had really that we thought would be nice to go with the food that you eat that month um and that sold really really well did you advertise and that Right. We didn't do any external advertising. And then we also realised that majority of people on the site were women. Right. So it's, and up until the um, last 18 months, it was probably 60-40 split women to men. Um, so we realised then that actually a lot of women are buying it as gifts. Mm. So they want to be able to select a day that it arrives. They want to be able to put a gift message in. They want to actually know that the gift packaging is nice. So we just spent a lot of time sort of, I always made sure we had a phone, while we were an online business, I always made sure we had a telephone number really prominent so that people could call us. Um, and that was always given priority because I think you you need to speak to people, you need to hear about what they want and what they're looking for. So we sort of often redesigned our product offering based on what we what we were hearing from people. Um, and we didn't do any research because I don't think it tells you anything. I don't think there's no point asking your friends and family for any unbiased because they just got to say, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so we did um, a lot of food markets. We did a lot of sort of gift fairs and things in the first six months because we were then speaking to people and we learned so much from that without them really knowing that's 
because I don't even know if we knew that's what we were doing. We would just come away and think, oh, gosh, that was really popular. I wonder why that was popular. Actually, everybody's choosing colour. They're coming in and saying, my husband drinks pale beer, my husband drinks dark beer. Let's make some pale and dark cases. So we sort of, um, we were just constantly adapting and changing what we do based on what we were hearing from people. And I think it's a term that's bandied around a lot about things being customer-led and customer-driven. But we had no other knowledge, so we had to go on that. You know, we had to say, we had to listen, because we didn't have a knowledge of the beer industry enough. We didn't have a knowledge of e-commerce. So we had to listen to what they were asking us for to know how to position it. But that's amazing because, again, it's so daunting for people. I find it myself, Jill, now, you know, when I put my books out, you know, on, on the black hole that is Amazon. And it's yeah. like, good grief, right, how do we do this? Um, But it's like, you know, it goes back to that old-fashioned selling. And you don't, and you hear these... um sort of these terms like SEOs and oh and all these different all these different letters that I never know what they mm. mean but actually it is just a case like you did that you didn't have that you just went out and you found out and you found your own way and that's probably the same for most successful businesses that's what you have to do you have to find your way yeah and I think things haven't really changed in years how you find customers is maybe different but the same, it's the same thing. You know, in the old days, people would network and they would advertise and, you know, they would make sure that people were talking a word of mouth and that sort of thing. And it's all the same, really. It's just that it's online and, it, and it's digital. So I think we were never daunted by it. I think we, were, we just sort of thought, well, we'll find a way. We have never spent a penny on SEO ever. Yeah. Um, we spend money on pay-per-click because you sort of have to. But we've never really done any... Um, I don't even know the term for it. Was it called an organic? Is it above the line marketing? I don't know. Yes. We've never really, we don't do, we've never put adverts. Well, we did it once, put an advert in a paper and it was such pointless. We didn't do it again. So we don't really, everything has been organic growth. We don't really, um, we've never gone out and proactively done massive advertising campaigns or, you know, done radio or print or anything like that. We've just, um, yeah, we had <laughs> your website is easy to find and we made sure it's got the right product and we really really look after our customers so and they and they come back to us Mm. and so it's called the best of british beer and you say i mean it has grown because you've sold more than three million bottles of beer is that right that would have been at that point oh wow it'll be five or six now i think the um Yes, millions, well, millions and millions. It's millions, like- millions. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to work out what my what my turnover has been. Well, I suppose we probably sold maybe one and a half in the last million bottles of beer in the last twelve months. Wow. So it will be a lot more. Yeah, it'll be a lot more than that. Um, so you've but got it's- you've got your warehouse. Yes, you and for anyone listening. I, honestly, if you want to have a lovely 10 minutes that will lift your soul, have a look at the Instagram site. Because as we said before we started recording this, I know with Instagram, it's all sort of very perfect and it's all very lovely. But you do get a real sense. So you've got now around 11 or 12 people who work for you full time. But it's obviously a real family business because you've got your husband's sister, is that right, working with you as well? But, yes. And and as you said, you said this the most brilliant, and this is music to my ears. I have to say I'm a, more of a wine drinker, but I'm happy to sway to the beer because I think I'm going to apply for the next job if I'm honest um but you you like you employ people now who you would like to go and have a drink with yes um and so I think at first when you first set out sometimes it's about who you can afford 
you know, rather than the right or, you know, and at one point, um, and we're also, this is a thing that we didn't foresee happening at all, but as a small business, you have a real opportunity to employ people that wouldn't necessarily get an opportunity somewhere else. So I think when I worked for the bank and when I worked for an insurance company, you know, it was a very rigid selection criteria. You couldn't move outside that. And I think when it's your own business, you can you can choose to you know recruit whoever you like, um, and you can give and you can give jobs to people who um, really really need a bit of a hand, you know, a bit of a help and a bit of a hand. So at one point, the average age of our staff, excluding us, was twenty one, and that was wonderful in terms of we were helping people. But gosh, you know, it's <laughs> oh yikes! Oh, you've got all the oh, bit of drama. Too. I can imagine some dramas. Wow. That is it, it's the drama. But it was wonderful and we really, really enjoyed it. We employed um, at least two people that came directly from care. Um, and that was quite, uh, because we'd come from this corporate background, we didn't realise there'd be kids coming in that didn't have any shoelaces, you know, they didn't have to use a phone. Mm-hmm. They, so actually when they came in, you were being a parent to them. And when they left, they had their own flat, car forklift license a girlfriend you know and so that was that was something that we didn't see was going to be a benefit of having our own business and I wouldn't say Will and I have particularly sort of thought like that in the past because you're in your own sort of tunnel of you know work 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 corporate and then you see that actually there's a whole new um sort of I don't know a whole new group of people that you can work with um, so we did that. We employed quite a lot of um, younger people. We've gone through. We've had a lot of apprentices that we've sort of brought in. Some of them are still with us now. Um, and then we got to a point where we thought, right, this is great, but the business will never grow without having some grown-ups as well. You know, so um, we expanded our recruitment a little bit because actually we could afford to do it a bit more as well. Um, and so we brought people in now who, who are specialists in HR and IT and. Um, and customer experience, that sort of thing. But one thing they've all got in common is if it's busy, they all get in the warehouse and pack beer, you know. And there's times where, you know, we have a big cardboard skip for recycling and sometimes it's really busy and it gets full and will his EMT just jumps in the cardboard bin to flatten it, you know, so we can get more cardboard in. So, in a, you know, in a, in a family business, there is no, I'm not doing that. You know, the FD cleans you know, it's we we just get on and we just get on and, and do stuff really. And so we've employed people like that. That you know, if anyone comes in and thinks I'm just going to be doing the marketing job and that's all I'll be doing, that doesn't happen. You know, because when it's really busy at Christmas, you're going to have to go and build some boxes. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we've got a real can-do sort of real up for it team, mm-hmm. um, and they're just lovely. We just. We genuinely really love our team. And I think that, so when we had the pandemic, that there was a lockdown and um, we furloughed everybody for a day. And then Boris said, well, no alcohol has to be protected because it stops people going to supermarkets and things. So no, we want alcohol sellers to keep going. So we brought everyone back. And for that whole period that was really tough and everybody was worried and, you know, we didn't, our staff didn't have a, a minute late they didn't have a day off they didn't have a minute everybody just came in and I think if we didn't have such a lovely team we wouldn't have been able to to do that we wouldn't mm. have been able to take a you know 
to take advantage of the increased business like we did yeah well it, it is wonderful but it's obviously something you and your husband do because I think especially when you go back to what you're saying about when you're taking on the, the children from care which is an amazing thing to do but there, there's probably like some people who would think well do you know what that absolutely I wish I could do that but I also have a business to set up and I can't be dealing I can't be sort of parenting people but obviously you did it in a way that they still they did the job and you clearly made sure and you it was very clear they have to do the job but that what comes with that is a very nurturing loving environment to working yeah absolutely because we didn't do it out of charity you know they did it they did a job for us as well I think we just thought let's give them a chance but actually you know the the lads worked really really hard and it's and then we looked and thought well what a difference that's made to their lives but they worked you know they 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 worked really really hard um and I think we couldn't have done it in the first 12 months but we could do it afterwards you know and it it meant that there was time. I think it's more a case of while you while you do parent them a little bit, that's more about making sure there's some food in the cupboard because they might not, you know, they need to be able to eat. Making sure that they've they have got shoes that are suitable in the winter. Making sure when you find out that actually they don't have anywhere to live at the moment that you can find them somewhere to live. And so there's things I, I wouldn't say it took up a huge amount of our time. It was just a much more flexible way of working. I think as a result of that, we then went on to adopt a little girl. Um, and I think, you know, that would we have done that without the experiences that we had? I, I don't think we would have. I don't think we would have maybe thought that we had the capability to do it. We wouldn't have had the flexibility with work, um, you know, to do it. So having a business is much more than <laughs> some people say, um, I'd love to be my own boss and do that. And it's, it, you're, you're not really your own boss. You Everybody, might, you know, you've got to answer to lots more people. But it's it's not really just about being your own boss and being flexible. It's about the difference it gives to your life. It's the quality that it brings to your life, really. Um, and yeah, so we would not be we would not have the family we have now without having the own, our own business. Do you think mm-hmm. um, before we talk about that? Do you think um, going back to when you were saying you loved working when you worked in insurance and you worked at companies? And it is possible some people might be listening to this who who sadly haven't ever lived, worked in a company where you can work alongside your closest friends. And I, I've been lucky mm-hmm. enough to do that. Some of the people I work with in sort of my day job, I, you know, they were some of the first people I called. One lady in particular, she was the one of the first people I called when I had my first son, you know, and second son. Mm-hmm. So they're really part of you. And But if you haven't had that, it's quite hard to understand that you can have that in a working environment. So do you think that's really helped you, knowing that this is what work could be like, that's mm. really helped you create this lovely working environment now? Yeah, I think so. And I think, so I feel really quite sorry for people that have maybe started their first job and they've done it from home on Zoom for the last 12 months because that's a whole part of social interaction and how companies work and the internal politics that they've missed out on and that's a really really it's not just about how you fill a form and or how you write a report it's all that as well isn't it and and I think I was really lucky to work with some brilliant bosses who really did invest in their team and wanted to make sure that it's not just about the work you do but it's about the, those little rewards you get so the nice meal out and the staying in a nice hotel and you know taking a team out and it's about all those other little things that make it really worthwhile to work and, and make it fun so yeah so I think both myself and Will because his industry was very sociable so we've we had that and we could bring all those experiences and I think when we only employed kids at one point they'd never had a job before they didn't realize that this is what this is not what all businesses are like. And so we would have Pizza Friday and we would, you know, take them out to things and do stuff. And my mum would say to them, 
because my mum comes in and works as well and she would say it's not like this anywhere else and they didn't really believe it now we've got some older people working as well um they can actually now say to these sort of apprentices and things that this isn't like this in the real world yeah <laughs> no it's, it's not. not this is a little bit different you know you don't get a beer allowance you know you don't get to be flexible with your hours and um but as i said it is it's a bit like in a welfare state everybody's got to take responsibility yeah absolutely. and you know and if they didn't then it would spoil it so i think there's this sort of unwritten rule that you know you will have flexibility to move in your role and you'll have flex you know you'll have fun but you need to make sure that customers are happy and mm. that or it doesn't work yeah well you can't just be friends with everyone there is a business run do they all know mm. though that your mum applied for your first job do they know that story they will I now Jill. i don't think so <laughs> i'd forgotten i'd totally forgotten that's what I'm it's really nice to reflect because i had totally i never think about anything that happens and that's certainly not that long ago um so i had totally forgotten all yeah. of it and i think my mum will have forgotten about it i'll need to tell her this afternoon you're gonna have a load of uh, mums ringing up for jobs probably for them <laughs> as well because because and so but speaking of like with being a mum yeah you did you adopted a daughter so you've adopted your yes. lovely daughter so i think i i love, and again obviously this what the work that you've done and I think it's a whole next chapter episode you know the decision of adopting and that's something totally different but you know how lovely now that you and Will have got this amazing business but you've got your lovely daughter as well but this it looks like it all just fits within each other which again is a a very magical formula. Yes it it does and it's um and I think you're right I think it is actually another story about how to do that because we get cross sometimes when we watch things on tv and people talk about having children and you know anything oh there's lots of kids needing adopted go and do it it's so you know it's so it's so um life-changing for them and you know and for us um it it does it does fit really you know we're only we work quite close to home now um she's very sociable so she spent a lot of lockdown in here um and that's and we all just work together. I mean, if we, she'll come in here to work sometimes. And if I'm busy, one of the, we actually, the business is based in a country park. So one of the girls will just take her for a walk around the lake and go and look at the birds. And yeah, we just, it just works really. Mm. And I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to listen to this to think, oh, that's great. It's so perfect. Cause it's not, cause obviously we have lots of tantrums and lots of, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go to work today and all that sort of stuff. And we'll be saying, please just, you know, Sellotape those boxes up and she's shouting, I don't want to work. So yeah, it's not always perfect. <laughs> um, but it's we've created a life that works for us and works for the business. And I think that was actually one of the things we said when we adopted that whilst she'll be a priority, she needs to sort of fit in with what we do as well, because work pays the bills. It's what mm. it's what we do. Um, and I do think social workers do a brilliant job at matching um families and children that, you know, suit each other. Um, so I think that a big, you know, a big part of that has got to go to her social worker as well, really, for, for putting us together. How old was she when she came with you? She was a week off her sixth birthday. Oh, wow. Bless her. Okay. Wow. She's quite old. Yeah. yeah oh, my God. Like... This is a whole other episode. Jill, be warned, you're going to get another phone call, but we'll do a whole because that really is a, is a next chapter. But going back with the um, with the company, when you when you think that now, when you think back to that time, sort of when you left your holiday and you were getting that anxiety and it sort of really got worse and worse. And sorry to make you think about that now, but when you no, think no. now... And then you've got the, the, you know, you work with your lovely husband, you've got this lovely family run business. 
also, can we just say again, you're working with beer. Now, for my <laughs> husband and many like him, this is probably like the most, because you never stop, he would never stop being interested in it because he is such a beer lover, as I know that you all are. But do yeah. you do you think, hang on, and you're going off still to your to fairs where you're picking up all the new, you know, there's always a reason to be going to these lovely beer festivals. And obviously people are in a good mood when they're you're dealing mm-hmm. with this sort of subject. Do you think, you know, actually this is exact this is exactly right i mean you've made it sound very simple to do it but you've really just made very simple decisions based on things you love and what suits you yeah absolutely and i think i think one thing is that that regardless of what you what business you do whether you have your own law practice or your florists or you know you're selling beer online it's all about selling it's it really is all about that so while we might go and see a brewery or we go to a beer fest or whatever it'll it'll always have that element of how how are we going to be selling more. So whether it's buying some stuff in that people would really love that we can sell or whether it's going to a Christmas fair or going down to visit Selfridges or getting on the phone to somebody, you know, it's always about how, because that's how you do all the other nice stuff. So you can't do the nice stuff unless you've got customers. You can't do nice newsletters. You can't do nice offers. You know, we've got a group of customers that we looked over the last 18 months that have re- done quite a lot of repeat business with us so they automatically have vip status on our site and they'll have that for life they don't need codes if they want to sample some new beers they drop me a line we send them some new stuff that's come in you know so we couldn't do that if we didn't have the sales coming in in the first place so it's it's all about that so and having turnover that is good a good enough for you for what you want is means you can do all the other things and it makes life so much simpler Mm-hmm. so it can be simple but you have to sell you have to you have to put the sales in first mm-hmm. and obviously going back because you were saying that you hadn't do, done lots of advertising things like that but looking on your website I mean you're you it's funny isn't it how these things dare I say it, organically happen because you, you have been in the Daily Mail you have been in good housekeeping you've been on this morning but these things they say this don't you if you're doing the work and if you're doing the right work that you're meant to do those opportunities come you don't necessarily have to be seeking them out just keep doing your work yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you've got a beer festival, you meet somebody, you chat, You maybe you're judging at a beer festival, you've got a lovely lady sat next to you, she happens to be a journalist that specialises in beer, so the next time she's asked to produce a beer gift, she thinks, ah, I met that chatty Scottish girl that didn't shut up, you know, <laughs> so she'll have, she'll have something, you know, so it's these opportunities just, and so we often don't say no to anything, because you never know, and that's such a cliche, but it, it is true and I think sometimes you can think oh gosh it's November it's raining I don't you know I don't want to go and do that but you just don't know, ever know who you're going to be sat next to and you don't know what's going to come as a result of it so it is about just doing the right thing isn't it it's just about putting the effort in it's about yeah. putting the work in yeah um, and nothing has ever and I'm quite lucky that Will is very much like that so nothing is ever too much trouble um that it, you know if somebody phoned on a Friday night when we were about to close up and said, oh, I really want to get a gift for tomorrow and the courier's gone and Will would just get it and go and take it to a post office somewhere and send it. You know, it would, it would nothing. So we don't ever really follow processes. I suppose it's just the type of people we are and it means then our staff are like that and it means that the business is, has grown. We would never turn around and say, oh, no, sorry, um, we don't do that. I don't think we've ever said that. Mm. We'll just find a way we got an order once and I can't remember I think it was come from meeting somebody but it's um the richest man in Britain and he was launching his mega yacht wow. and he wanted 
a personalised beer. He wanted his own beer with his own brand. I mean, this ship had its own font. Um, and it had to be in Rotterdam for a certain day. But it took so long to get through the approval for the branding that by the time it was all approved and done, we didn't have any contingency. If we sent it by courier, by pallet, because it, it was about a thousand bottles, there was a chance that if anything went wrong, it would delayed by a day, it would miss the launch of the ship. So we just put it in the back of a van and drove there. <laughs> and we just thought, did you get on the yacht? Yes. Yeah. Yes, we did. We did. <laughs> and, um, and gosh, so we we took we had our daughter with us as well because That's we thought brilliant. we wanted to take her. Luckily, it was school holidays, so we drove to this. We got on this mega yacht and it had two tapenyaki bars and ballrooms. It was nice. just incredible. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like just I thought, oh gosh, um, but we just make things I don't know we just we wouldn't want to ever let anybody down and we thought well that's such a great order and it's such it's a bit of business that we just think is so much fun yeah so we don't want to spoil it by not getting there yeah but you would probably do that kind of treatment he may be the richest man in Britain but you would probably do that for somebody who'd forgotten their wife's birth or you know you you do that for anyone I get that impression you treat treat everyone the same and that's what makes it so special yeah absolutely um yeah that was yeah, it was just more the fact of, oh, this is going to be fun. We're going yeah. to we're going to get on a yacht, sort of thing. But wow. yeah, and we have done that. So we've, um, yeah, we've driven orders to Birmingham just because to make sure it gets there. And because actually the sort of the thought of it not happening correctly is much worse than the effort that we'd have to put in to do it. So yeah. it was worth doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you never say no because otherwise you may have said no to this podcast. So that's good. <laughs> So yeah, so moving on to be, to your to be continued. Now I I find this quite fascinating what you said. I asked you what you'd like to do next if there's anything and you said develop the people on our team to run our or their own business. Now I don't think there's many people with their own business who say that they're sort of helping train people to run their own businesses because you want to keep them for you. So I think that again is that's quite special. So what so why do you think that? So I think this is quite a recent-ish development um, when we've seen what people can sort of achieve. And and I think that, you know, it goes back to that other thing before that you think, well, you can work for somebody else all your life, but actually it's the real value is in being in control of your own destiny and, you know, and doing that. And that's the really exciting bit. So I've been working over the last sort of six months to make myself redundant um, and I'm just about there. So if I'm not here, if everybody's in and I'm not here day to day, nothing would be any different. The the business would carry on. And it's meant that I've been able to sort of step back a bit and I can look and think, well, actually, I think we're maybe paying too much for cardboard there or we're doing this and let's change that. And it's so we've been able to move the direction of the business quite a lot and make some really significant savings by not being involved in the day-to-day and actually I want to have um yeah I want to have more time for myself to to do other things uh, but that means that the people that work for us have to run the business so that's sort of stage one and then stage two is I I suffer hugely from that sort of entrepreneur shiny syndrome that I'm always seeing new things and they're exciting and the shiny and well brings me back to back to earth but Quite recently, we've had things where we've done a beer festival that works really well. We're doing beer tastings where people come along and, and hold private tastings. And that's a whole arm of the business that we've never really done before. And I think rather than doing it as part of Best of British Beer, 
what we'll probably do is carve it out and carve maybe a few other things like um, Christmas markets and food fairs and things and actually make that a business on its own mm -hmm. and some of the team will run that so that you've got people who have just passed their apprenticeship and actually they'll be the MD of that arm of the business or mm -hmm. they will they will run it and we'll go through things like budgeting with them and costs and margins um, so that because you know we've got our business and we're quite happy with it but that business could support other subsidiary businesses mm -hmm. and so that's what I would like to do that I think that you know you could be you know 18 and you've left school and you've maybe got a couple of GCSEs but you could end up within two or three years having your own division of a business. Mm, that's amazing and also it shows the trust that you have but do you think as well when you give such responsibility to, to some young people it this is what really helps they, they want that kind of responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've moved away from that a little bit somehow. Mm. You know, yeah. I think we think, oh, they're too young. And I, I don't know where that's come from. You know, that it, I think when I was when I was 18 and I had that year out and I worked for a general accident, I used to work in the claims department and I was dealing with some really serious motor accidents. And you think, I was 18. Mm. I'd, I'd only just turned 18 and they trusted me with that. Mm. You know, when I was 21 and I moved to Privilege, I set up the admin department. Will ran his own nightclub at 22. Mm. You know, it, I think we were we personally were given more responsibility at a younger age than most of the young people I see at the moment. And I don't know if it's because they stay home longer. Mm. I don't really know what it is, but I think if the, if you give them responsibility, they'll do it. They'll, mm. you know, they'll do it. So I think we, and, and we'll be there to catch them if they don't. Mm -hmm. I think as well, yeah, absolutely. But also as well, I think, again, this is another discussion, but I think parents, as parents, and I am, we're very good at sort of mollycoddling our children, aren't we? And, mm. you know, and of, of course, and I totally, and we have this discussion a lot, education is, is important about doing sort of the best you can, whatever that may be, for all different reasons, as you found when you were at school, you know, that was what you, what you did. But also... That education, that was more of a work ethic that has set you up for your entire life. And I think mm. sometimes this is it gets lost with all the exams and the results and everyone wants the A's, not that they're A's anymore, but we all get so geared up and all this competitiveness mm. and this side of thing. You actually lose sight of, do you know what? You could just, there's a whole world out there and let's get you started in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know how, I don't know many children now that have paper rounds. No. Or Saturday jobs in bakeries, or right. sweeping up hair in hairdressers. You know, and I, did we do it out of like in terms of me and my friends? I think we did it out of necessity because yeah. we wanted some money to spend on clothes because our parents weren't going to give us it. No, you know, we we needed we needed to earn money. There was a necessity there, and I think there's a lot of children that there's not, and we're quite conscious of that. You know, Isla wouldn't have to work for some of the things that she wants, but she's desperate for a pony, and we've said, well, when you can afford to buy your own hay that's something you yeah. know you will have to come in here and work to earn money because you're not going to be given stuff and I don't know if there is that I don't I don't know if there is that necessity or there's this that thing that actually people don't employ 15 year olds to go and do yeah. you know work in newspaper shops now and things I, I, I don't know but we see kids coming in for interviews and they are nowhere near job ready mm -hmm. you know they're not they're not interview ready at 18 or 20 older yeah yeah not interview ready never mind never mind job ready um but once i've had them for a wee while that's fine yeah. you know you can... yeah i still <laughs> i want to get i definitely want to get a saturday job with you if nothing else i'll sweep the floors <laughs> and come to your pizza night yeah i'll do that anytime so um so yeah so moving on to your acknowledgements now you said i asked who you would like to um to thank sort of the people who you say have helped you now you said maria 
Bork? Oh, Maria Bork, yeah. So she was the ops director when I first started at Privilege. I mean, I think that she was so grown up and so scary and so demand. Yeah, she was really demanding. Um, and she put a lot of pressure on us, but we really responded well. We like, just really, really wanted to do well for her. We never, ever wanted to let her down. So even though we were quite young, and now she is such a dear friend, and you know, she's she's probably been the one that's been quite a cheerleader for me in my career. And I think she's seen back, when I was in my early 20s, I was quite wild. I was like, oh, I probably went out four or five nights a week. Um, I still worked and worked hard, but I was probably a bit of a handful. Um, and she seen past that and gave me opportunity and gave me responsibility. And I moved to different jobs with her. Um, and we haven't worked together now for maybe 12, 13 years, but we're still really good friends. And she's just just one of those people that is there for you when you need her. She's, I mean, all through lockdown, she sent Isla presents and games and things. And she just, uh, she's just great, but she really, I think, molded my career I think she was a really good role model that I looked and seen how she treated people how she motivated them um, and I, I learned a huge a huge amount for her so I think in terms of career she was probably the person that did yeah did, I wouldn't say did the most did everything really so and it's interesting yeah. isn't it how she treated you and this is how you're treating younger people now if perhaps you wouldn't necessarily if you hadn't had someone like that they say it is contagious and and this yeah. is probably a good time to ask as well because I'm sure people will be wondering this so obviously you work with your husband Will now um how do you find working with your husband how do you find running a business <laughs> with you there you go there's the question um <laughs> is there pizza we, and beer yeah yeah absolutely um how do I find it? I think at first we were both used to being the boss and that was quite, so I think at first when there probably wasn't enough work to go around, we used to probably tread in each other's toes and annoy each other um, because we were both used to being the boss. And then I think as things got a bit bigger and he could have his area and I had my area, um, that worked worked a lot better. Um, but we, we are together all the time, you know, and like through, because we work together, we're at home, we socialised together. He took me on a stag do once. I didn't wow. realise it was on a stag do <laughs> until about halfway through the night. I thought, oh goodness. So I think he probably copes with it a lot better than um, a lot better than I do. But um, we we just got on really well. I think we have very very different skills. We have very similar very similar values, but we have different skills and we have different approaches. You know, he's quite risk averse. I'm absolutely not at all. Um, so we sort of ground each other. And I think that's one of the things actually going through the adoption process, they pulled that out very clearly. They said that, you know, you're just so different that it works together really well. And I think I think that's it. Like, I'm not a completer finisher. I'll just start something and get bored with it. And Will will come along behind and finish it for me. You know, and so if he says he's got to do something, he'll do it. You'll probably have to ask me three times. So it... It sort of work. It just works. Yeah, mm. that sounds really sickly. No, um, it does. Obviously, we do drive each other mad sometimes Good. as well. We need to hear um, that. Yeah, but we can just go and pick a few beers and go home and sit in the garden and have a drink. You know, nothing. Mm, we don't bear grudges. Nothing carries on if we have an argument about work, and we would. We do in front of the staff very professionally. <laughs> um, but it just we just go make a cup of tea and it, it blows over yeah. because you can't not. Yeah. Just like you wouldn't, it was in one way we speak to each other like colleagues. You know, if a colleague winds you up, you're polite about it, aren't you? Mm, mm, sometimes. You don't, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and mostly you think, oh, cheers my battles. I'm not going to cause trouble here. So we sort of have that approach as well. So it's actually probably bled into our personal life as well. We yeah. don't really, 
we don't really argue. We just um, we just choose our battles and move on from it. Have a beer debate. Have a beer debate. Yeah, we just um, yeah we 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 just sort of move on. So actually, no. We I think at first it was quite tricky, um, and now we've just sort of fallen into a, a, a way of working. Yeah. I can imagine not doing it now. No, no. Well, how could well, you? Because I'm totally unemployable now. Yeah. I think that's the other, that's the other thing you think we don't realise. When when I started, I thought, well, if it all goes wrong, I'll just go and find another job. I think once you've been self-employed for a bit, you've got no chance. No, no. That's, it, <laughs> made, it made me laugh because when I was looking at on your on your Instagram with the different people, all the people who work there with the quick fire sort of questionnaire and he, and he said, what would you do if you weren't doing this? And he said, nothing because I'm not employable. It also made me laugh. He said, what's your advice? And he said, don't fill in questionnaires like this. Which actually, yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. It made me laugh. But um, so speaking of advice, our last section. So Jill, you're a very good person to ask about this. So you obviously you've worked in the corporate world world you know you've seen all different sides of things you found something that just ignited that passion that excitement that Mm. meant that you weren't going to take no for an answer it's that it's that level so what would you first of all say to somebody who's listening to this who hasn't found that passion yet who think they might have but they're still not doing it or something like that what would you say to a person who cannot think what they want to do next but they want to do something gosh I think I have lots of ideas but as I said earlier most of my rubbish so it's I find it hard to somebody wouldn't have ideas, but I think it's, I suppose it's thinking about what would really inspire you. What would you really enjoy doing? What aspects of your job at the moment do you do? And I think you just have to have lots of ideas and seeing which one, which one works. Um, and if you haven't thought of anything, there maybe isn't something. You maybe just got to stick to what you're doing and find some way to love it. Um, but I think, you know, you're, Whilst life is short, that everybody says, your working life is quite a big part of it. You know, we probably work for 50% of our life. Our working day is probably 50% of our waking day. Is it really worth being unhappy? You know, because it filters into so many other parts of your life. Um, so I suppose I would say, one of the things I did actually was when I first left Eshire and I, I was working part-time, I signed up to a local gardening um, club, little gardening course. I went did an um, RHS, and I'm rubbish at gardening. I've not got green fingers at all. But it was lovely. I mean, I think Will thought it was just a lunch club, which it did eventually become. But I was just working with lots of different people, you know, talking about plants, doing that sort of stuff. And you get ideas from things like that you see what other people are doing you think and then I thought right well I'm going to have this business um I'm going to have a little allotment and I'm going to say it was just rubbish I was never going to do that but um it it sort of starts your brain working you start thinking of other things I think you need to be in that creative place before you think of ideas we watched lots of and I love programs about new life in the country and new life abroad and things and people that have done stuff like that and I think if you have something that you really love if you do it better than anybody else and you have a point of difference you can make it successful Mm. so I think you know it's just finding as a really long answer but just finding something that you think you can do well and just doing it but not spending too much money on it and not spending too much time on it because if it doesn't work you need to be able to bounce into something else you look at something like you know freddie's flowers who have been hugely successful lots of people do online floristry so what is it you know he's just decided to make it a bit different and do it really well and have lovely branding and it's worked really well Mm. so I think it doesn't matter whether it's something tried and tested and old or whether it's a whole new gap in the market if you have something that people want and you're willing to work at it it'll be fine 
Mm. And and just to, just to finish off then, so if you have actually got, that kind of goes on to what you're saying, if you've already got the idea and you deep down, you know, this is what I want to do. I know that, but I'm too, you've, exactly like you just say, oh, Freddie's flowers, I want to be a florist, but look at him, I'll never be as good as him. You know, all the doubts and all that, you know, there must have been a, a moment where you thought, hang on, working in beer, surely everyone wants to do that. You know, those, those niggly, nasty little voices come in. Mm. You know, what would you say to that voice and to somebody who's got that voice in their head now? What would be your advice to them i said what have you got to lose you, you know you, you're, you're a long time dead aren't you what have you what have you got to lose so you could you know there's this life unlived isn't there and why would you want to you know why would you not want to try i don't i suppose cause when i've got an idea and i think something's good i really struggle to see the downside of it i think you just i think you have a cushion have a three-month cushion and know that you can get a job afterwards or, you know know that's I suppose it was easy for me. I, I'd managed to save up some money, and if it was, you know, the end of the world, I would be able to go and fair. I'd just gone and been a checkout operator. I'd have done something to pay the bills. Any gardening? Um, I did my gardening. That was rubbish. <laughs> um, if you, you just have to really be willing to work at it, and you just need to, yeah, put the put the hours in and, and just go for it. Yeah. You just you just really need to go for it because you just don't know the added benefits that will come as a result of it. No, find that zing find it yeah just do it just do it jill sherman thank you for just being such a brilliant guest on the next chapter <laughs> podcast you've been amazing thank you so much for having me and i've really really enjoyed it i've loved it so there you are what did you think of that i mean jill she really does have it sorted doesn't she i love her approach find something you think you'll enjoy and well just do it but she's right isn't she life is short so why not do something you love now, if you want to see more of Jill's story, and I do think you should have a look at her Instagram, honestly, it's cheering of the soul. You can find out everything at bestofbritishbeer.co.uk. If you want to keep in touch with me and my latest book, you can find me at elliebarkerwrites.com. And here, I'm just going to say it, if you could rate and review this episode, that would be marvellous. It may help someone find this podcast and help them start their next chapter too. So I'll be back next week, but in the meantime, keep thinking, keep pondering, and don't forget, find that zing. Speak soon. <laughs>